Coming to you from Orlando, Florida. Orlando, Florida. And streaming around the world. Around the world. You're now tuned in to the Sales Samurai Podcast. The only B2B sales podcast providing unfiltered, unapologetic views and tactics directly from the sales trenches. Here's your host, Sam Capra. Welcome to another episode of the Sales Samurai. Thanks for listening. Uh, Before we begin, do us a favor. Take a moment to subscribe and download. On today's show, we're going to be discussing how to book more meetings. I mean, I think that's the king of all conversations when it comes to B2B sales and generating pipeline and things of that nature. And it's highly important. I have a fantastic guest with us, Marcus Chan, who's just been doing... Everyone knows who Marcus Chan is. If you've been on LinkedIn at any point in your life, you've seen this content. He does a, a tremendous amount of things around the sales spectrum, and he's going to do a little quick introduction for us. But Marcus, sincerely appreciate you being on the show, man. Hey, Sam, it's my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Well, man, it's my pleasure, brother. So you're out there in Portland, so we're a good three hours across the coast. So you're in the middle of your day. I'm, we're slowly wrapping it up here on the East Coast. Yeah, man. So it's, you know what? I envy you guys, but I'm also excited because I have three more hours ahead of you. So I got more time to go my day. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> that is fantastic, man. So, so tell the audience a little bit about yourself. I, like I said, I know you're all over LinkedIn. You do a tremendous amount of different things from LinkedIn, Salesforce, from Influencer, Forbes, you name it. Kind of give the audience a little bit of a background if you don't mind, Marcus. Yeah, absolutely. So first off, thanks so much for having me on. I'm Marcus Chan, founder of Venley Consultant Group, in which we work directly with B2B sales professionals to help you earn an additional fifty dollars to $100,000 more without making thousands of cold calls, working your ass off and doing all those type of things. A sales coaching business I've run now for just over two years. Been really fortunate, got featured in all those things. We've had incredible success, and that's been really, really cool, and I feel absolutely blessed for that. The truth is, I actually never planned to be an entrepreneur. It's never actually a goal, because <laughs> before this, I was in corporate America for about 14 years, and I love what I did. I started B2B sales. I only worked for two major companies. And I got promoted, you know, 10 times in 10 years, had a success, won all the awards, presence clubs, you know, all these awards, trips, and all these things. That was all, and I was gravy. It got to the point where literally I was running a team of 110 plus employees over multiple states, and we were crushing it. I absolutely loved it. But it got to the point where I knew if I wanted to serve at a higher level to really reach my potential, I had to go uncapped, completely uncuffed, if you will, no limits to be able to do whatever I want. And that was starting my own business. So I actually started my own business, you know, a couple of years ago. Uh, I actually started as a side hustle while I was working corporate America. It just exploded <laughs> in growth because of it. And you know, I made the leap a couple of years ago, but since then it's been a wild journey. But I've been super blessed, made a lot of mistakes all throughout my whole career. Yeah. But it's been a lot of fun uh, getting to this point. That's fantastic, man. And I love. I'm going to dig in a little bit on that because I, I love those origin stories. But I love the fact you said side. I think two years ago, three years ago, that was actually before side hustles became a thing. I mean, I think side hustles are all the thing now, yeah. but that was back when you were actually oh, yeah. grinding and no one knew you were grinding. That's right. That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was one of those things where I grew up really poor. I grew up really poor. You know, my parents are immigrants. They came to America so and they were entrepreneurs and they had a restaurant. So I saw how hard that life was. So I, I never wanted to go into that life. I'm like, that's not for me. I want to like use my brain like for money. I want to like, you know, wear nice clothes. I don't want to work in a restaurant. So corporate life was really good for me. And it really started in 2015 where 
at that point, I've been promoted really 10 times in like seven, eight years. And for these major Fortune 500 companies, people are like, how the heck did you do that? You should write a book. You should do whatever. So I learned how to write some eBooks, started selling those online. And that grew into building online courses, coaching, and all those other things that just kind of sprouted to fruition because of that. That's fantastic, man. That's awesome. So tell us a little bit about your origin story from a sales perspective. I'm I always laugh about with guests because I don't think anyone's ever grown up as a kid thinking to themselves, I'm going to be a sales rep one day. That's not usually the career path. But tell us, how did you get into the sales spectrum of things? Yeah, absolutely. So what's interesting is it took me a long time to even admit that I was in sales. And I remember when I graduated college and I told my family and what else I was going to do, I mean, they were not happy because they wanted me to be a doctor, a lawyer, an accountant. And they kind of saw through my my college trajectory, like that I wasn't going to do those things because I was like, I didn't go to school for those things. So when I graduated, I was really fortunate because at the time I had a few different job offers on the table. And it was, one was B2B sales for a startup division for a company I had already been working for as an intern. It was brand new. It was all B2B sales, uh, leading to other roles, working at banks, you know, financial advising, et cetera, analyst roles. So it was kind of was like a potpourri mix of, of different roles. That ranged from like a 30K base salary to a 60K base salary. Right. And I went for the $29,500 base salary one, which is the B2B sales for the startup division, to basically cut my teeth into sales. And even at that point, though, I wasn't willing to admit it was sales. Because to me, I'm like, build something from scratch. This is a startup division. We have zero customers, zero clients. I'm going to go out there and figure out how to sell and grow this business. It's really exciting for me to build like an empire, if you will. To me, that's what I saw. And before this, you know, I had done other types of like, e- not always the easy sales rules, but they were like, just like business consumer, retail sales, done different things like that. So, and, and I was mostly customer service focused. So I was like, okay, I'm pretty good at this. And I always had pretty good results doing that. And I'm pretty good with people. So this should be pretty easy. And this is my first taste into like pure cold outside sales, outbound cold calling, cold email, door knocking, boots on the street. And I remember, like on day one, I had no training, of course, right? And my boss had never done the job, but he did give me a manual, Sam, written by people that had never done the job before, right? A lot of theory, which, which you're good to go, man. <laughs> awesome, good luck. Here you go, boom. I'm like, all right. And so I went to my boss, and said, hey, hey, you know what should I do today? He said, I want you to go out and I want you to knock on thirty doors. All right. I didn't even have business cards yet. So he gave me a stack of his business cards. Okay. I said, he's at 30. I'm going to show him what's up. I'm going to do 60. I'm going to show him what's up. I'm going to crush this role. All right. I go out there, walk into 60 businesses by foot that day. Zero booked appointments, zero closed deals, zero interest. I'm like, that's insane. That, that makes zero sense. Let, let me try again next day. Next right. day, I walked into over 60 businesses again. So at this point, two days, 120 plus businesses, zero interest. Zero like book appointments, zero deals. Oh my God, this is like way harder than I expected. And I go to my boss and say, Hey, what, what should I do? Should I keep going back out? Like, I mean, I have a, a less than 1% success rate now, which sounds insane to me. He's like, No, call them. All right. So that day, I call every single one. All right. I make like, over 100 calls that day. No book appointments, <laughs> no interest. I'm like, Next day, what should, what should I do? He's like, Call again. I'm like, All right. So I called again. So at this point, I'm like four days in, right? I think I, Monday, I can't wait to Monday, but right. it was like Friday. And I'm like, I'm feeling an absolute failure, an absolute failure. I'm like, I, I can't do sales. I should have been an accountant. 
I should have become an engineer. I should have been a dentist or something. What is wrong with me? I can't do this. Right. And, uh, you know, fast forward, you know, eventually I figured it out how to have success. And by month three, I was a number one rep in the company. And then from there, I continued to kind of skyrocket up. But it was pretty hard. I mean, it was, that was like my taste into it. But here's the thing. So I got promoted multiple times, built multiple seven-figure operations. And at this point, like several years in, I've been in this company for years, like four years, and I was running a small team. I still wasn't willing to admit I was even a sales leader. I was like, I'm a branch manager. I oversee like operations. I oversee it all. I'm like, but I was like, you know, but then at that point, you kind of get to the point where you want to continue growing. So I decided to make, even though life was really good, like I was like 25 years old, life was good. Bought my first house, awesome house, making great money, just got married. Asking my MBA the whole time. Like, I'm thinking to myself, life is good. I'm like, but I need to level up more. I need to challenge myself more. Like, maybe right. I'll grow this pond. So, I actually made a leap to a whole different company right. and started back over. Took a two step demotion, going back into individual contributor role. And I'm like, can I do this again? Because I wasn't sure. I'm like, maybe I got lucky. Right. Within nine months, I got, I got promoted. Right. right. So, within the nine months, I got promoted, had a lot of success, took over the sales team, and then kept going up from there. But that's how I got my, cut my teeth into. But at that point, it probably took me about five, six years to even admit that I was actually in sales, to be actually be proud yeah. that I was in sales. So now I proudly say, but at that point, it took me a long time to even say, yep, I'm in sales. With that, that's fantastic, man. So let me ask you. So now you've been in sales. I know you're an entrepreneur, but you're still selling. I mean, like that's what you do. You're, that's at your core, I could tell. Yep. So you've been doing it now for what, 10? What's the magic number? Let's take a look. So officially in B2B sales, we're at 14 years specifically. Okay. So I'm going to ask you a question, because this is what I always love asking people, is tell me in that 14-year span, like what is, from a sales perspective, what has gone the right direction, what has gone the wrong direction, in your opinion? Better and worse. Just like overall the sales as an industry? Oh, anything that relates to sales. You know, some people say technology is great, but then it also creates so much noise. Like, Whatever you think, Mark, it's just curious what your take is on that. Sure. I mean, if we're going to talk about, say, technology, I, I would say it's actually weakened a lot of reps. It's actually absolved a lot of salespeople from actually being good at the core fundamentals of human psychology and persuasion. So here's what I mean by that. So yeah, it's because, probably because I feel like I'm, probably, I'm not like a dinosaur, but they're like, I started sales before there was like, automation tools, sequencing tools, and all these other things that many reps today depend on. So what they end up doing is, you know, they, they, the company buys a bunch of leads or they get a marketing list of leads. Like, I'm going to put them into a sequence and I'm going to send off like all these emails and like the 1% of them are going to convert over and I'm going to convert those to, to closed deals. Yeah, that can work for sure to a certain extent. When the market is good, the economy is good. But if you don't know how to be able to convert other people, right? Not the op- those ones are going to buy anyways. It doesn't matter of timing, right? Right. It doesn't matter to get in front of them. It's how can you convert the other people who are just not thinking about that? The completely cold traffic, and I think it's really weakened reps to have the skills of, and the fundamentals of actually being good in the role. Like many of them want to hide behind email sequences versus picking up the phone, having a phone conversation, being able to negotiate. So, for example. It's not uncommon. I'll talk to clients and they're like, oh man, like the email back, like, you know, like trying to negotiate via email. Like, can I do this type of term instead? How should I respond? I'm like, pick the phone up and call them. (laughs) Can't negotiate an objection that they don't respond. (laughs) Like, 
You have to get them on the phone, get them on a Zoom call, and have a conversation like a human being. So that way, you're able to eliminate any uncertainty they actually may have about your solution. Without a doubt. So I think just with a lot of this automation, a lot of tech, it can really help for a certain extent. It can supercharge a really talented sales professional, but it can really weaken many other reps as a result if they depend entirely upon it. I believe, though, if you can combine both, if you have strong sales fundamentals and you use also like automation tools to help you as well, it can explode you in amazing in, in growth and results. Like, for example, for my business, the reason we've been fortunately really successful over the last couple of years is because I'm taking all the technology that I've figured out how to use plus the fundamentals of sales and combine together to grow my business. And it works together. It wasn't one or the other. I need both. So, and I'm going to make sure I, I kind of, and I know where you're going with that. So what you've said is really kind of technology is the good and the bad into itself, right? And I've had, I've used this and I agree with it. It's made lazier sales reps even lazier and it's made great sales yeah. reps even better, right? It's that yin and yang, if you will. That's right. So I love that piece of it. And I love what you said when you, we were talking through this, that if someone brought this up to me, they were like, it's kind of like field of dreams. Some reps just think I'll send out the emails and then they will come. You know, if I build it, they'll come. And that's just not, yes. that's not sales, A. Eh? And that's just not how it works. If you're agree, disagree, I'm assuming you're agreeing because you're shaking your head. Give me your thoughts. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're right because they'll look for the magic script, the magic template. Right. And they're like, if I write this specific line in here, this specific email framework, they're going to come back on Mac Book Means. I'm like, if it was that easy, then every single person would be in sales and they would all be making multiple six figures to seven figures plus. Like, but that's not the case. That's not the case. If it was that easy, then your comp plan would be way harder. <laughs> your comp plan would be way harder to achieve. Right. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. And what's the old saying? If it, to your point, you know, if it was easy, everybody would do it. But also, if there was a tip like this, it would be saturated in one week because everyone would jump onto that. Correct. Right? Correct. So this is actually why I have an issue with like sales gurus and influencers because it's like they put something out there on the interweb. Half the time, most of them never actually carry the bag, done the job, and actually aren't even practitioners to this day. And then suddenly the market's saturated with people doing the same template. And I've seen them like, all right, the breakup email was a good example. I'm like, oh my God, like if someone sent me a breakup email, I'll just I'll just delete the email immediately. That, that makes zero sense. We're not even dating. Why is there a breakup email? You know, like it makes no, no sense. It's funny because when you say that, I remember way back in the first days where I literally got my first email in sales, which is many moons ago. I remember we used to call it a Dear Gibby. I don't even know what that came from, but it was a breakup. <laughs> but it's been around since I've had an email address in sales, which is going over two decades. So you're right. It's one of those type of things. We fall into these ruts as sales professionals that if someone tells us to do it, gets into the masses, whether there's legitimacy to it, context to it, we just fully charge at it and we just kind of hanker on to that, if you will. So it's funny you mentioned that. Yeah. I mean, you're so spawned. This is the dangerous part about social media because if they have a big following, whatever, I've seen some people with big followings and I can tell, like, when I talk to them in behind the scenes, like, if they have their own business, some of these sales coaches don't actually know what they're doing. They're actually not practicing even what they're preaching. And some of them will actually try to, strangely enough, try to like pay me to work with them to help them. And I'm like, I'm like, there's a conflict of interest, first off. That's really kind of strange. But number two, like, if you can't actually do what you're saying, then you shouldn't be selling it. I mean, it's just not ethical. Without a doubt. 
So I appreciate you kind of giving me that background because it's funny, you know, as I talk to, I think individuals like yourself that have lived and breathed it, continue to live and breathe it, right? They're much more practitioners than they are the quasi-influencers. They're in the trenches today, which that's what I love about having these conversations. I wanted to talk to you because you put something out. The reason I reached out to you, really wanted you on the show, is because you put something out called Eight Things to Book More Meetings. And obviously, as, as a head of sales, leading my team, I'm still in the trenches as well. Booking meetings is like the holy grail to me, right? Because you can't close a deal unless you start a deal, right? No, there's no, doesn't <laughs> happen. So I wanted to get you on the show. I wanted to talk through it. So there's eight things that we're going to talk through, but I want to kind of walk through and get your thoughts around it and just kind of boil down the ocean a bit on these things because it is important as we go through this. Is that fair? 100%. I'm game. Awesome, man. So number one, and this I think is number one. I couldn't, I was so happy when you put this number one. (laughs) I think this is actually things people skip right by. You put prepare a hyper-targeted list. Tell me about that. Walk us through that a bit. Absolutely. So one of the most common mistakes I see is people, you know, if they're preparing to call or whatever, either they take a list their company gave them or they just kind of build an arbitrary list. And the arbitrary list could be just like, oh, you know what? These are people like in this industry. Okay, like let's say, for example, let's just say if I sell an HR software, I'm just gonna target HR execs. Yeah, you could do that. However, like what is your ICP, your ideal customer profile? So when it's that general, that doesn't incorporate what industries they're in, what they actually like do specifically, how big is a company, are they even qualified? Like, if you picture like when you call and say HR execs, you call HR exec of a say a five million dollar company versus a five hundred million dollar company, it's a wildly different conversation. Now, if you are able to be hyper niche down, say okay, I'm going to look for specifically on the West Coast at HR executives who work for a two hundred fifty to five hundred million dollar company that have at least five hundred plus employees. And also, they've been in business for at least 10 years, and they're in this specific industry of manufacturing. Now, you have a way better niche-down list. So now, when you're actually calling, you have a higher chance of actually booking the means. But also, they probably got money because they're actually a good-sized business versus an arbitrary list. And, and you can apply this across the board, but it's really getting as uh, deep as you can, as niche as you can, to have a better list. And when you have a better list, you can have better quality lists, you can buy better data, and you can actually go and have a higher chance of actually booking because you're actually using more relevant references as part of your talk tracks. Like I said, I absolutely love the fact that you listed that as number one. I didn't know if it was stack ranked or not, but it's listed as number one. And what, you know, as I was reading through this. It's where it all starts, the list. <laughs> it all starts with it, right? And yeah, it does a few things, right? In my opinion, it does a few things. Because I remember back in the day, Mark, you've been doing this a long time, just as I have. It used to be, I don't have enough accounts. I don't have enough people to call. And that used to be the sales mentality. It's a numbers game. I got to call more. Sure. And now it's really not. It's, it's swung the other way. It's, I'm not sure they have 50 right people than 5 million wrong people, right? Exactly right. So that's, I think where you were going, and I love about this is if you get really hyper-personalized, you don't have to think about pivoting on a call. I mean, if, like, if you're talking to the same kind of person, like you know what I mean? You, you kind of start to wield and mesh to that kind of role, if you will, and the pain points you already know, the objections you probably are, and you make life a lot easier on yourself, right? Am I off base? 
You 100%. Like, you literally, you can literally, like, hey, when I talk to other HR execs, they say they have one of three problems. Number one, they have high turnover. Number two, B, problem, you know, number three, problem C. Are any of those relevant to you? Right. Yeah, actually, yes. <laughs> that makes sense because it's a highly targeted list. Bingo. Like, it's, I picture it's as simple as this. If you sold specific vegan products and you had a list of only vegans on the list, and, and you also found their income levels, hey, you know what? You can, now can, you can sell them specifically expensive vegan products. However, if you didn't have a good list of mixture of people that eat meat, eat whatever, and then you're trying to sell them like vegan products, I'm like, why are you calling me? I'm a heavy steak eater. They're like, they're hanging up on you, right? Like, you're not speaking their language. You're not, they don't feel, you don't feel, they don't, you don't know their pains. Without a doubt. That's funny. So let's move on to number two. I think it kind of dovetails because of what we just talked about, but practice what you plan to say so it's muscle memory. So walk us through that a bit. 100%. So our brains are very simple. We can map out how we plan things to go and with specific word tracks. For example, the more we practice with a word track, easier it becomes. So the mistake many people make is, and I'm not about saying we need to memorize scripts and be a script robot. I'm just saying you need to have frameworks and have a pretty clear idea of what you're going to say. Will you write a script out? Probably should. Should you practice so it doesn't sound like a script? Absolutely. Practice so it doesn't sound like a script. But the more you know it, the more you know, the more you internalize it, the more present you can actually be on the call. If you are scrambling and wondering what to say next or thinking about what to say next, you're actually not listening to them and you're not able to be present. This applies on the cold call to a discovery call or anything because thinking too much. So you want to practice the point where you don't have to think. So the way I think about it, it's just like athletes. Athletes spend 99% of their time working out and practicing. That 1% on the field, on the track, in the pool when they're actually competing is only 1% of the time. But they spend so much time in practice so that way once they're actually playing the game, they're ready to win. And if someone throws them the ball, they're not thinking, oh, what should I do next? They know exactly how to catch the ball and exactly what to do next. And that's how the phone work should be as well. Because when you, once you're on the phones, you black out. You 100% black out and it's like it's go time. And all your instincts will go out the window unless you've honed the instincts and you mapped out the pathways in your brain on what to do next once they give you an objection, once you know what to say, once they answer the phone. You're listening to the Sales Samurai Podcast. We'll be right back after this break. Sales Samurai is excited to announce the launch of the largest database of B2B sales resources on the planet. 600 plus resources with more added every single day. Search, sort, and filter leading software providers, podcasts, books, blogs, and so much more. The best part, it's absolutely free to search. Go to salessamurai.io to start your search. So what I love what you said in there is you use the term framework. I know people throw out scripts. I think everyone kind of talks about it a little bit differently. But I love the term framework. You know, I've heard talking points, you know, kind of talk. But what I really love is the fact that you backed that up by saying, hey, you need something. You need a foundation. And an old mentor of mine used to always say, hey, have you ever gone see a movie, Brad Pitt or whoever, right? Those are all scripts, but they've learned it so well that it looks natural. That that's how you should be in sales, right? I mean, 100%. that's the goal. That's the utopia. So I love that piece of it. So talk to me about number four, because this one I 
I was actually thinking through a little bit. You put expect four objections minimum before they book. So help me understand that a bit. So when you think about the objections you get, you always get the same like three to four objections. It's like always the same. It's like, I'm not interested. I'm too busy. We already have a vendor. I'm happy with my current customer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to me, here's why I believe. Actually, it's a different topic, but I believe all objections are the same. Right. It's just status quo. That's all it is. Like, I don't want to change, right? That's all it is. So, but when you mentally prepare for that and you mentally prepare it and you know, hey, you know what? They're going to give me four objections. You're less likely to give up after two objections. Like, when you're preparing for the worst that's going to happen, you know, as many objections as possible. Then you, if you know that, then you're like ready to go. You're like, you're ready to like to handle all the objections. But when you're not ready, you think it's going to only be a couple and you get like three, you're like, you crumble or you get one, you crumble. You're like, oh, you're like, you like fall over. I'll give you an example. So I remember I just hired a rep who had said they were like super good and all these things and everything's going to you know, work out. And turns out though, they weren't bringing on the phones. I didn't realize this. So they started working for me and I'm sitting in the bullpen with them. I remember they sound amazing on the first, you know what the person answered, they sound amazing at first. First objection comes rolling in. The customer just says something like, I can't really, like, I'm not interested. And like, it was like scenes like it's just like ice cream melts fast, like fast me. It's like, Ugh. I just like I can only really see like the confidence drip out of this rep. And he's like, okay, thank you for your time. Hangs up. We, we get down. We, he hangs up. I'm like, hey, what are you, are you what happened? He's like, that's never happened before. I'm like, what do you mean it's never happened before? <laughs> like, what? He's like, yeah, I just didn't see that coming. I'm like, whoa. And that was like such a great reminder. He just meant wasn't mentally ready for more than one objection. We're Freddie, really. He had one to get knocked over. But my point is, is when you expect like someone to come at you with like four objections, you're like, all right, I'm ready for the four. So if you give me anything less than four, great. Only three. Nailed it. And the reality is most reps, I find, give up after one or two objections. They just kind of give up, they fold, and they move on. But the really good ones understand if they can handle three or four objections, their chances of booking go up drastically. But also on top of that, they are able to create more of an expert authority on the phone with the prospect because their level of conviction is so much stronger. That process is like, wow, okay, this person's so convicted in what they're saying. I promise you get a little bit of time. You know, it's funny, Mark, because as you were talking through that, I remember my days way back when, back when dinosaurs roamed the earth and selling uniforms. You know, I had a weekly quota. I had to make 500 dials a week. I had to make 200 face-to-face cold calls, knocking on doors. And you miss quota two weeks in a row, you're out. And I never forget my old trainer. He threw a phone book. He said, okay, call every mechanic in Birmingham, Alabama and go at it. But he gave me a script. He said, learn this like the back of your hand. Work with your wife, work with your daughter, whoever you got at your house, just nail it. And you know what I really found in doing that outside of learning the script, but is having that many calls. And I know we're not here just to just make dial for dollars anymore, but I just kept hearing the objection over and over. It automatically prepared me that by the 800th time I made the calls, like I just knew what to say because I heard it so much that it was just, a, to your point earlier, a muscle memory Hey, I heard that before. I actually heard that with this customer yesterday or the day before. And here's what we talked. We just went down that path. It was just a natural conversation and not a confrontational, you're objecting to me. Let me overcome that objection. So I love the 
how that kind of unfolded based on the rep that you had picking up the phone and got rolled over with the one objection. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And by the way, I'm not sure if you knew this. I came from the uniform industry too. Nine years. Where were you at? Cintas. How was it Cintas? Cintas, we're going on a rabbit hole. We got to get offline. We got to talk about that. I will say to this day, that training, like, it was just great. For me, it was great because the weekly, the urgency of just the volume I had to do, it really helped me understand the urgency you have to have in sales. That's right. That's right. So talk to me a little bit about role playing because I love this one. You put role play your five calls with friend before you actually start calling. Give us a little insight onto that. 100%. So it's interesting because in sales, if you have a certain driver within you, you feel like each day you got to kind of start back over. Each day you got to prove yourself. And no matter what happened yesterday, you know, if you're a good salesperson, yesterday means nothing now. <laughs> like today is a whole new day. It's time to prove myself once again. And the thing is, like, the hardest call to make is always the first call, right? Like, the hardest door to, like, to knock down is, like, is your house door, right? Like, the, like then it's your car door, right? And then it's your prospect's door, right? So there's always these multiple levels that you got to break through. So even if you had a great day, the next day when you got to start back over, no matter how many calls you've made in your life, like, your brain is not quite ready for that next call the next day. Like, from the objections to what you're going to say, so you want to just warm yourself. And I picture it's just like working out. Even though I worked out yesterday, before I work out today, I'm going to stretch. I'm going to warm up first. So this way I can do a great workout, get the best peak performance before I go. And I see cold calling as exactly the same. So if you had a great day yesterday, great. Your new day just started. Before you go into it, role play with you know a friend, a peer, the first five calls on your list. Imagine they're going to give you four objections each. So you mentally walk through how you would handle it, but you actually are verbally doing it. So you actually warm up your brain, your mouth muscles, your throat, and even your body language. So you can actually set yourself up physically to actually excel. So one thing that I did, which really helped me early on, especially when I was driving to the office, is a four to five minute commute. I literally would role play out loud on my drive in my car to the office, right? Out loud. I'm like handling every objection. I'm going through everything. So by the time I'm at the office, I had role played it, I don't know, like eight, nine times that cold call. The worst possible cold call could happen. So I was mentally ready. So that way, once I pick up the phones, I'm ready to go. There's no thinking. There's no warming up. There's no stretching needing to be done because I already did it. So not only this may be better on the phones, this actually give me a competitive advantage because when the clock hit 8 o'clock, we started dialing in the bullpen, everyone else is twiddling their thumbs, wasting time. I'm ripping down my dials. I'm ready to go because they're like, this guy's a machine. I'm like, I'm not a machine. I simply prepared before I got to the office. I just warmed up. I role played. That's the best way to do it. I actually love that. I love it. So here's a couple of things I've heard. People always talk about, you know, in today's day and age, you got the gongs, you got the courses, you got these avomas, you got these conversation intelligence tools. And those are valuable to listen back and hear what you did wrong and how should you, you know, coaching, all that. Fantastic. But I love the angle. And I think that's an element to it. But I love what you're saying because 
it's not just for that. This is actually intended for you to get some at bats, right? It's intended to get some warm up. So correct, you're in the right frame of mind as you do hit the dials to hit the ground running. And I don't. I think this that's actually missed quite a bit. One hundred percent that aspect of things, that warming up. So I, I really thought that was a great call out. Every great athlete warms up before any game, yeah, any event. They don't just like roll out of bed and just jump on the gymnastics, you know, balance beam. <laughs> like, you know, they don't just jump in the pool. They don't just run and try. They like they literally warm up freaking hours at time, potentially. I have to say, I've never thought about this. When I was kind of, when I saw your list, I thought to myself, I'm going to create a list on my own. And I'm just going to think through what I, I'm going to kind of block out Marcus's so I don't cheat from his and I just don't pull over. <laughs> but I didn't think of this one. And as I saw yours, in number five, just for the audience, stand up while you call. But I noticed, I didn't list it, but I noticed when I'm making calls, I'm always standing up. I always, I like walking around. I like, I'm very hands oriented. Talk to us a little about standing up. What's the thought process behind that? For sure. So one of the greatest things you can do, understanding that how you're physically set up, standing, sitting, and laying down, doing whatever, changes how you think. And the way I think about it, it's like this. like If you are ever like really, really upset, try smiling. It's really hard. It's really hard. If you're sad and you're crying and you're trying to like start laughing, try, try to laugh, it's like almost impossible. So what that what happens is whatever your body is doing, it really shifts how you think. And that's that's the power of it, right? So people have said, yeah, smile while you dial, all that stuff for sure. But I have found when you are positioning your body in power poses and you are standing in a position where you feel more confident, like a like Superman or Superwoman, you're upright, your chest is out, your shoulders are back, you're like looking at the screen, you're feeling good and you have energy, and you feel grounded, it comes through in how you speak as well. So if you know that to be true, simply take advantage of that and set yourself up to stand while you call. And sometimes pacing and walking can be powerful for many people, so why not do that as well? It's one of those little hacks, if you will, that when you do it, it just works really well because you feel good. And like I personally found that for myself. It's the same thing. Like, I'll do like my Zoom calls. Like, you know, if I'm running a sales call, they're all standing up. They're all like, I'm staying, I'm my, my stay, in the desk right here, I'm standing up because I can feel that I can move around. I, I can go unrestricted. So that's the power of being able to set yourself up to physically feel good. And if for some people they feel better sitting down, fine, easy, reverse that. That's totally cool too. But if you're staying, if stand makes you feel better, stand up. It's an easy hack. That's fantastic. So the next one, this one I think is low hanging, uh, low hanging, but I, I think it's actually one of the big things that people lose because they don't practice enough is the tonality, pace, and inflection. That's a tough one. Even for me, I find that's the biggest. One. I either get real fast or I just. So talk to us a little bit about that, why that's so important. And I want to ask you a follow up question to that because I just saw something on LinkedIn. I want to get your thoughts on it. But talk to us a little bit about the tonality. So tonality is so powerful. It changes how the message is being perceived. So for example, if I said, I don't know who ate the cookies, there has a meaning right there. I don't know who ate the cookies. I don't know who ate the cookies. So by even just shifting the tone to different, the inflection to a different word, the meaning has shifted as, as a result. 
And that's no different than on the phones as well. So when you emphasize certain words, it drives home different points. And when you understand that, it's able to create a different feeling for that prospect. But on top of that, when you're on the phone, they can't see you. They can't see you. So the way you hook them and and get their attention is not just the words you say, but it's how you say it. The how can also hook them in different ways because if you ever listen to like like an audible book, like if some of them, if it's a boring reader, it can be the best content in the world, but I don't care. But if they are a good reader with good inflection, I'm like, damn, like it can be the most boring book in the world, but that sounds really good now. (laughs) And if they are this excited, this passionate, and they have this much energy about this, I probably should pay attention. Yeah. So, you know, I think Brian Tracy said, a sale is a transfer of enthusiasm. And on the phones, they can't see you. So all you got are the words you say and how you say it. Without a doubt. That's basically, you've just touched on the question I have, because I just saw a LinkedIn poll, which is now all the rage. Yeah. And it was that the question was, hey, is it more what you say or how you say it? Like you can only pick one. And I want to get your thoughts on it because you, I don't know. It's kind of the chicken and the egg for me. I'm kind of like, well, both are important. But to your point, that Audible book, if it's boring, it could be the greatest content. They could be exactly what I need to hear. But I'm like, I don't want to hear it. It's just really boring. So maybe something that's less, not as good from a content standpoint, but how they delivered it actually does resonate with me more. Like, what is your thoughts on that? I mean, I know it's hard yeah. to pick, but what is your feeling on that? It is hard because you definitely need to balance them both. Right. If I had to like, choose one, like gun to my head, I would say it would be the how. Like how you're saying, I know from personal experience, I remember I'm a fast talker by nature. I grew up with a speech impediment. It still kicks in. I went through speech therapy for years, still have issues with it. I talk fast. I mumble. I stumble over. It still happens today. So, but there's been a number of times where I booked an appointment with a prospect and I get to the meeting and it's before like a Zoom was a thing, right? I'd be face to face. And they would be like, hey, I know we had a meeting, but this is going to sound kind of stupid. I, what are we talking about? Who are you with? <laughs> like, you just sounded so passionate that I felt like I had like fear, mis- I had, like FOMO that I had to talk to you. I'm like, damn, that's awesome. I'm like, I can't believe you actually showed up with that. I can't believe you actually kept your meeting. But yeah. my point is, is like, honestly, that's probably a, an exaggerated example, if you will, of, of the how. But if you have a good balance of both, it's wildly powerful. So when you are intentional, if you are a real pro, you're not thinking about just the what, but you're thinking about the how. When you combine both together, it's a recipe for just a calendar full of appointments. Without a doubt. That's fantastic. And so these are two last ones that I actually thought are things that are very easily overlooked. You know, especially as you know, people get to be everything going on in their lives, you know, they want to unwind, they stay up a little bit later. But the number one, number seven thing on your list is getting a proper night's rest. I mean, as simple as that. Like, talk to me a little bit about like why, of all the things you could have put in this list, that's number seven. So obviously you see a lot of value and there's a lot of stock you're putting into it. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure, 100%. So when I think about this, when you think about sales, there are high leverage activities and low leverage activities. There are what I call IPAs, income producing activities, and then there's like crap that you got to do as well. So your IPs or makes you money, and they usually require the most amount of energy to do, the most focus. 
So those who are most effective at managing their energy, that's mental, physical, emotional, spiritual energy, the better they're going to be able to perform when they're, they're executing on the IPAs or the high leverage activities. And one of the key drivers which helps recovery is proper sleep. Like when you get proper sleep, you just feel way better and everything is totally different. Like we've all had those days where we had a bad night's sleep, we didn't get enough rest. And it's the normal things that would normally set us off totally set us off. Just like little things, like ah, this prospect said no. I'm so mad now. I'm like you know, like, you know, irrationally, you know, rage angry about it. In a normal day, it wouldn't matter. So when you think about this, especially if if you have maybe call blocks set for certain times of the day or week, if the days before you're just really trying to specifically those days, if not all the days, you have proper sleep, you are position yourself to have a best possible day the next day. And the way I think about it is you can't always control the outcome on the phones. You can't always control the outcome on the sales call, but you can control things leading up to it. You can control the certain things that can help increase your win rate. One of the best ways is making sure you have proper sleep. When you have proper sleep, you feel better, you show up better, you're more focused. This allows you to be better to do a better job with preparing for your calls, actually role play, actually do the things that you want to do. When you're tired, you don't want to do anything. So if you can control at least that piece right there of making sure you get proper sleep, it can set you up to be wildly more productive than anybody else. Yeah, you know, it's funny as you're talking through that is I find when I don't get enough sleep, two things either happen. One, I get started later, right? It just takes me time to get started. You know, where I might get started at 7 a.m., I'm not getting started close to 9. I just lost two hours, right? Right. Or... I compensate with coffee and then I crash around two o'clock, two thirty, three o'clock. I lose the back half of the day, which is the two, three hours. So you're right. I don't think people connect those dots enough that that's absolutely vital from just a, a peak performance standpoint. I think you tied it always back to the athletes. I mean, that's why athletes just get so much rest. They eat healthy. To your next point, they eat healthy breakfasts to kind of get their day started. But talk a little bit about that because I'm horrible with eating a healthy breakfast. That's my worst capacity. Yeah. I don't do very well with it. So talk to us a little <laughs> bit about that. Yeah. So we've all had those like, you know, days where we're like, we're, if we don't eat breakfast, then like we, we start getting hungry, right? And then it's hard to focus. Or on the flip side, if we eat too big of a breakfast, like we have like a, I think I put there, eating like a monster breakfast burrito, <laughs> delicious, 100% awesome, delicious. But now you feel it and you feel like a giant burrito. And we don't, it's like being sick. When you don't feel good or at your best, it's really hard to show up and be your best in sales. And I think about sales is like, one of the best things I learned was to master sales is to master yourself. That's what it is. If you can master the personal development of yourself, it'll increase your chances of being successful in sales, right? Like, just like Jim Rohn said, right? When you work hard at your job, you make a living. When you work hard at yourself, you make a fortune. And when I think about the healthy breakfast piece, again, it ties back to managing your energy. If you know certain things give you more energy, those are things you want to eat. If eating a breakfast burrito makes gives you energy and doesn't make you feel like terrible and doubled over, so be it. For most people, it's not going to be that way. So you, I prefer eating clean, lean, and healthy. So that way, once I'm, I'm executing, I'm feeling super good. I'm not clogged up as well. But it's also, the size been improving. When you eat a bunch of junk food like that morning, you are more sluggish. Your brain's more sluggish. You're not as sharp. You're not as tight. Like, I remember making a drastic shift back in 2014 of going from like eating whatever to like a hyper clean diet 
with specific rules that I fe- like followed for six days out of the week. And it was insane, my productivity. Like, because I'd be able to get, I'd be more productive during the day. So in the same amount of hours as everyone else, I got way more done at a better quality level of work. And that's really important. As a sales professional, when you can execute your work at a very high quality, you feel better. So does that mean you should never have a great breakfast? No, not at all. Like I'm saying, like, you know, like you just control when you have it. And if you know eating a big burrito really does, you know, is, is your jam. Like, I love burritos, right? Awesome. Just eat it on a different day or eat it like say after your day is over. So it's not impacting your results before you need to go. This is why top athletes, again, do not eat crazy things the morning of. They eat specific things that give them energy so their body is fueled with the right food stuff, and food for their body and their mind to actually have a great performance. You know what I, as I've read through this list and as we've had this conversation, I think what we, what we really lose sight of as sales professionals, it, it's really the attention is in the details. I mean, that's really what the list is saying. I mean, it, healthy breakfast, eating right, you know, going to sleep, getting rest, being focused, driving a fit, like everything that we've talked about is the hyper-focus, the diligence, the details that it really takes to separate yourself that one, two, five percent from anyone else in the space to get that deal, to land that, to get that call, to be in a position to succeed. And it's not my to your point around practice and game time. It's the people that that get to the gym an hour early and stay an hour late. Those are the Michael Jordans of the world. It, you know, they don't have to do it, but they know that's what it's required. That's the details they have to put into it to be the best at their craft. And I think that's really something I want to make sure the audience kind of hones in on. Any thoughts around that? Final thoughts around that, Marcus? Hundred percent. I mean, the separation is in the preparation, but a lot of times. These things may be simple to say, but they're also hard to do. And those who are most consistent with these type of compounding habits are the ones who have the most success. Like I remember being new into sales and being the worst rep in the company and struggling. And yes, working hard gets you to a certain level, but it's these micro details I found that over time really compound and they really blossom and make you just a better version across the board. Like when you think about any top performer in any field, whether it's sports or anything else, like they typically are not that much better than the second place person, but they do these little things better, just a little bit better, like these things right here. And that's what separates them so far. And the cool part is, is like even when you look at a company, like you look at like salespeople, the top person versus the second person. The top person is usually still making more by like 10, 20, 30, 40, 50% more, if not more than that, than the second place person. It doesn't mean they're 10, 20, 30, 40%, 50% better. They're just like a little bit better. They're like maybe like 1% better on these type of things. And that's actually what separates them from everybody else because most people lack the discipline to actually execute. But, you know, I think as Jocko Willing said, discipline equals freedom. So when you are disciplined to these type, these micro habits, these micro commitments, you become a better version of you. And that ultimately leads to just a better result, not just in sales, but just also in your life as well. Without a doubt. I love that. This is the conversation I have all day long. So I absolutely love it. But tell the audience a little bit. And by the way, for the audience, we're going to have Marcus's information all over our website. We're going to have it in the call notes and or the show notes, I should say. But Marcus, tell the audience a little bit about how they can connect with you, get to know you, learn more about you, your training business, everything that you're doing in the space. How can they find out more about you? 
Awesome. So uh, easy to find me on LinkedIn. I'm most active on there. Look at Marcus Chance, the only guy with Speedos in the body <laughs> of his profile because I sold Speedos at one point. This guy's a competitive swimmer. That's, that's why. It was like a weird thing. That's a follow-up uh, podcast, Marcus. That's a follow-up <laughs> podcast on how I used to sell a lot of Speedos back in the day. And then, of course, you head them over to my website, which is uh, sixfiguresalesacademy.com, sixfiguresalesacademy.com. Head over there. You can access like my free Facebook group. We have like 20, 30-plus hours of free training on cold calling, objections, sales process. I mean, I just did a training today on how to close the year strong. I mean, absolute killer stuff. It's completely free inside there as well. That's fantastic. Like I said, I will make sure all that get in the show notes. Marcus, it was an absolute pleasure having you, man. Thanks again for taking the time. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for listening to the Sales Samurai Podcast with your host, Sam Capra. Be sure you subscribe to our podcast and visit salessamurai.io and join the conversation, access show notes, and discover bonus content.